Colossians 2, we have 23 verses to get through tonight, and um, so the Lord, the Lord's going to help us do that, but I just pray that, that as we go through that we don't miss anything, you know, so Holy Spirit help us tonight as we walk through your word, but let's, let's read together. Colossians 2, starting in verse 1, Paul writes, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, I am with you in the Spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. In him you also were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So, let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival or a moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ." Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So it's a lengthy passage of Scripture, and we're going to do our best to cover it in essentially four sections in this Uh, text tonight, Paul diffuses some of the doctrinal um, delusions that have crept into the church at Colossae, and and he begins uh, by by reiterating his wish for the Colossian believers. So if you're taking notes tonight, number one, we see a reiterated wish, and to reiterate is just to state again, uh, if it's a difficult to spell word, I went ahead and gave you that one, and I left the blank for the easy word to spell, okay? So everybody can spell wish. I gave you reiterated, so that's the first point there. He reiterates his hope, his desire, his longing uh, 
for the believers in Colossae. And, and he begins by kind of saying a prayer for them. And so letter A is his prayer for them. And we see this uh, initially in chapter 1. He, he lists the things that he prays for the believers. And, and he kind of repeats it here. He prays for their encouragement. He prays for their love for one another, their unity, their assurance of their faith, their understanding of the things of God, their knowledge. He, he prays that they would have wisdom, which is really knowledge applied, um, the ability to apply knowledge. And I think I can safely speak for the leadership of our church in saying that we pray those same things for you. That's our prayer, that you would grow in wisdom and understanding and assurance in your faith and that you would, you would grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that daily you would hear from God's word, that you would commune with him in prayer, that you would have unity among the brethren, and that you would grow in his grace and, and become bold in your witness. That's, that's our heart's desire for you as well. And that was Paul's wish for the believers in Colossae. And then he mentions his presence with them. He said, I'm not physically present with you. I'm physically absent from you. In fact, Paul was separated from the church at Colossae by about a thousand miles in a jail cell. He was in Rome in prison. And they were in Colossae. He said, I can't be with you in body, but I am with you in spirit. And I think that's so incredible because we share that, uh, that union that Paul had with the Colossian believers because of the Holy Spirit in us. I'm so amazed every time I travel around the world in short-term missions trips, I'll be in a place I've never been, I'll see people that I've never met, and they speak a language I don't understand, and yet there is a, there is a, a link in our spirits. We, we just bear witness. You know, I, I look at a man who's a follower of Christ, I say, that's my brother. I have no idea what he's saying right now, but he's my brother. And there's that, that immaterial, that Holy Spirit link and so Paul can say, even though I'm not with you physically, I am with you in spirit because we share the spirit of Christ. And, and in that same way, when the body of Christ uh, is in a third world country and they're being persecuted for their faith, when they suffer, we suffer. When they, when they rejoice, we rejoice because we're part of a family. It's a faith family. And that family will last forever. And one day there's going to be a giant family reunion when we're all called home to be with Jesus. And so Paul reiterates his wish for the believers in Colossae. He reminds them that the Christian life is not about chasing after the latest uh, and greatest trends and fads. He wants to remind them what they have in Christ before he addresses the false doctrine that's crept in. He says, you know what? The, the Christian life is not a, a flashy, fanciful search for unusual experiences. No. He says, the Christian life is simply a relational walk. That's number two. It's a, it's a relational walk. And he talks about this walk in verses 6 through 7. He also talks about it in verses uh, 9 through 15. He says, as you have received the Lord Jesus. How do we receive the Lord Jesus, by the way? Anybody? Shout it out. How do we receive Jesus? It's by faith, right? Simple, childlike faith. We come to him. Uh, with simple childlike faith, believing, and he says, as you have received him, so walk in him. So he wants to talk about this walk that they have. You know, there's no shortcuts to spirituality. There are no cliff notes to Christ-likeness, you know? We here in America, we want things fast. Give it to me now, you know? There's Taco Bell. You can get a quick meal. There's Taco Bell Express now. 
You know, you can get it even faster. Uh, there's so many jokes that could be said about that, but we want things quickly. We want the fast track to Christ likeness. We want the fast track to spirituality. And so because of that, we're eager to look for shortcuts, to look for the flashy, trendy thing, the latest, greatest, that will get us the best results the quickest. But Paul says, no, Christ likeness comes one way. It's a relational walk with Jesus. You just one step after the other. And so there's two things here that I want to talk about under this relational walk. We are encouraged to walk in Christ because it is, letter A, a faithful relationship. Closeness to Jesus comes one way, a long, obedient walk in the right direction. Day by day, one step at a time, in simple childlike faith, surrendering your will to God's will. Jesus said, if you want to know me, abide in me. Abide. Just sit down, rest, and have a relationship with me. I love the analogy of our relationship to Christ is like a husband and wife relationship. It helps us to understand a little bit uh, what Jesus is talking about, to abide with him, to walk with him in relationship. Um, You know, most couples, they get married, and then there's a reception, which is just basically a giant party for your friends and family members. Everybody wears clothes they can't afford. You eat things that you would never normally eat. You do things you would never normally do. You know, Uncle Henry's out there on the dance floor cutting a rug. Uh, It starts with just this huge party. Well, that doesn't happen every day you're married. You know, after after this big party, uh, after this giant reception, you you use gifted money, okay? So enjoy it now, because that's not gonna last. You get a bunch of gifted money and you, you rate all the cards, you pull out all the cash, you go to some exotic place and you lay on a beach for a week with your bride. It doesn't get much better than that. Guess what? That's not marriage. The marriage begins when the honeymoon ends, right? And, and much like our, our relationship with our spouse is our relationship with Jesus Christ. We grow in love for him, not in the high mountaintop moments, Not in the flashy, you know, um, amazing events that we encounter with God. It's in the day-in, day-out relationship with Him. It's a faith walk. It's a faith walk. There are high points for sure. There are highs and lows. But a marriage relationship is built in the mundane day-in, day-out. Things like doing the laundry, cleaning the house, um, you know, just, just serving one another in love, communicating with each other, setting the coffee for the next morning to brew automatically so that when your wife wakes up, it's ready. Guys, you're welcome. You need to do that, All right? Especially if she wakes up before you. Just away, first thing in the morning, she goes out, full pot of warm coffee. He loves me. Okay, you're welcome. Valentine's Day is coming, so you need to implement that soon. But just daily communication. My wife and I, when cell phones were finally invented, and I had one, I would call her, check in, just say, hey, babe, what's going on? You know, it's lunchtime, what are you doing? We just call back and forth. Now we text. Texting has taken over. Phones are not really phones. Nobody ever uses their phone to make a phone call. If you get a phone call on your phone, you're like, what's happening? Why is this ringing, you know, ignore or whatever. Text me, you know, so everybody texts each other. So my wife will text me. How's it going? Good, how are you doing? You having a good day? Kissy face, you know. Or I'll run something by her, 
You need me to pick up the kids? Thumbs up. You know? She'll send me a heart every now and then, just a heart. Heart. And then, uh, and sometimes, you know, we, t- we text stuff, and then we're like, oh, delete that, because the, the kids will look at our phone. Anyway, but uh, she's not here tonight, so I can say all kinds of stuff. She's home taking care of Drew, but it's a, day, it's a daily communication, and that's, that's like our faith walk with Jesus. It's our faith, a faithful relationship with him, just day in, day out. Don't you wish that God could text us? Wouldn't that be awesome? You just pull out your phone, look up in your contacts, God... Hey, God, how's it going? How's the air up there, you know? He texts you back, don't, doing good, you know? Want to know the future? Kidding, JK, or whatever. And we just, we just kind of back and forth, text all the time. We, we run decisions by him. Hey, should I do this? He sends back a thumbs up. Or skull and crossbones. Don't do that decision, you know? Or just your phone dings, you pick it out of your pocket and says, hey, I love you, God. Wouldn't that be awesome? Amen. If God could just text us, guess what, guys? He has. You're holding it in your hand. This is God's text to us. This is the way he talks to us. We just fail to read it sometimes, don't we? So we commune with him in prayer. We discover his will and his word through his text. And and in that, we have this faithful relationship with him. It's just a daily abiding in him. And his text, if we would only read it, reminds us that we walk in a faithful relationship and also it's a fulfilling relationship. It's a fulfilling relationship. Look at verses 9 through 15. He talks about this fulfilling relationship, the things that we have in Christ. He says in verse 9, For in Him, that's where you are, you're in Him, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. You're you're complete. There's nothing missing. You have it all when you're in Christ. He talks about being consecrated to him. He talks about a circumcision that's not done with hands. And all God's men said, amen. It's in our heart. Circumcision was an outward sign that you belong to God in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he circumcises our hearts. He sets us apart And our hearts were consecrated, were set apart. So we're complete in Him, we're consecrated in Him. And it explains later on, and this is rich theology, that we were crucified in Him. That when Jesus was on the cross, spiritually speaking, you were on the cross. That because our sins were upon Him, technically you died when He died. You were buried when He was buried. You rose when He rose to walk in newness of life. That's amazing. We have everything we need in Christ. It's, it's, we have a fullness in this relationship. It's, it's totally fulfilling. God longs for us to understand the nature of our relationship with Him. That we are literally in Him and He is in us. That's the mystery we talked about last week. That's what's pictured in our water baptism. Buried in the likeness of His death. Raised in the likeness of His resurrection. To walk in newness of life. When He was on the cross, we were on the cross. It was our sin that nailed him there. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ in me. In Romans 6.11, he says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's incredible what we have in him. It's, It's a total fulfillment for our soul, our spirit. 
Romans 8, and I quote this all the time, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness of God might be fulfilled in us. It's amazing. We have everything we need in him. There's a fullness. There's a fullness. So we can walk faithfully and fulfilled knowing the fact that if we belong to Jesus, we have everything we need in him. Jesus is supreme in every way, and if we have him and are in him and he is in us, we are complete. We are complete and should be content. Sometimes, though, our eyes wander, don't they? Yeah. Think of a marriage. Is there something more out there that I don't have? We start to wander. We forget about the fullness and the faithfulness of what we have, right? We forget to read his text. We, we forget to be reminded that in Jesus and him alone, we're complete. There's nothing else out there that could satisfy us. Ben quoted the hymn earlier, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing. There's a verse that says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Why? We forget what we have in Him. We forget to be fulfilled in Christ. We need to fix our eyes on Him. So the believers in Colossae were having their faith diluted by false teachers who were not asking them to deny Jesus. No, they simply wanted them to believe that Jesus, while good, was not enough. Wasn't enough. And so their eyes were wandering. Their hearts were were wandering, and so we see a repeated warning. In verse 4 and in verse 8, Paul repeats a warning to the Colossian Christians. He says, Now this I say, verse 4, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. And then in verse 8, he says, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. There are those out there that will tantalize you with false truth. They will attempt to dilute your faith with false doctrine. They won't come right out and say, deny Christ. They'll say, he's not enough. You need more. You need more, and you need to beware. There's three types of deception that he deals with here. He says, first, he talks about intellectualism. That's letter A, and that, that is basically... It's the thought of there's more to know. There's more out there to know. You have some truth, yes, but there's a higher truth. There's greater truth. That's the deception there. The word philosophy used by Paul there, philosophia, means the love of wisdom. The love of wisdom. James 3, 13 through 18 says that there's many kinds of wisdom. There's godly wisdom from above, but then there's other wisdom. There's earthly, sensual, and demonic wisdom that will attempt to sidetrack us and, and pull us aside from the truth. James 3, 13 through 18, James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. 
But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Different kinds of wisdom. And the wisdom of the world had crept into the church and was enticing the Colossian Christians to believe that they were missing something. There was something more to know. You just, you, you just don't have the understanding that you need. And Paul was warning them, don't give in to worldly wisdom. There were apparently some wise guys in the church at Colossae that were trying to convince the believers there that there was more to know. They were saying, yes, Jesus is the truth, but he's not the whole truth and everything but the truth. And Paul was warning them, these wise guys are telling lies, guys. Don't buy it. The second thing he talks about is mysticism. Mysticism says there's someone or something else to follow. Intellectualism, there's more to know. Mysticism, there's someone or something else to follow. So there was another group that was trying to persuade the Colossian Christians to worship angels. You can read about that in verse 18. He alludes to that. They were saying, yes, Jesus is a spirit being, but he's just one of many. There are others that we should worship. The pagan idea of worshiping angels had crept in. That sounds like a modern-day cult that we deal with often, like uh, Mormonism. I'm just going to go ahead and name it, Mormonism. Um, and they, they try to pass off as Christians. Did you know that? So they'll say that they are Christians. They will talk about Jesus, his finished work on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection. But if you dig a little bit deeper, you quickly learn that Mormons don't see the Bible as God's only revelation to man. They think it's incomplete. They believe that uh, an angel named Moroni appeared to a young man named Joseph Smith when he was 14 years old in a place called The Grove in New York. He was praying about which church he should attend. Should I be a Methodist? Should I be this or that? And he said he was overwhelmed by an oppressive evil, and it frightened him. And so he got up and looked around, and no one was there. And then he knelt down to pray, and he heard footsteps coming up from behind him. And he got up, and he looked behind. No one was there. And the third time, he knelt to pray, and this dark, this dark um, oppression just fell over him, and his tongue swelled, and he could not speak. And when he thought he was about to choke out, this great light came from the sky down to the treetops. He thought the trees would catch on fire, and he saw two beings, God the Father and God the Son. And God the Father said, listen to my son. And apparently Jesus told Joseph Smith, don't join any church. They've got it all wrong. Everything's corrupt. I'm going to give you a new truth, a new revelation. And he delivered two gold tablets. There were had Egyptian writing, but he translated them, and it was a new, a new word. And so Mormons would say, no, we're, we're Christians just like you. We believe in Jesus. In fact, Joseph Smith said himself, and I quote, We, the Latter-day Saints, take the liberty of believing more than our Christian brethren. We not only believe the Bible, but the whole plan of salvation that Jesus has given us. 
including the Book of Mormon. Do we differ from others who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? No. Only in believing more. Jesus plus something. Not just Jesus. Jesus, yes, great. We're the same. We just have more. Right? There's someone else to follow. There's someone, something more to know. It's not Jesus only. It's Jesus plus. That is a deception. That is a delusion. That is demonic. Paul says in Galatians 1.8, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we've preached to you, let him be accursed. John closes the book of Revelation, chapter 22, with these words, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Paul tells the Colossian believers, beware, don't let anyone deceive you with persuasive words that there's more to know or someone else to follow. It's just Jesus. You're complete in Him. You have the fullness of Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's a third thing that Paul warns against, and that's legalism. Legalism says there's more to do. There's more to do. And I fear that in our denomination especially, we have a tendency to lapse into the delusion of legalism. We have a hard time resting in the finished work of Christ. It's hard to sit still sometimes, isn't it? We think, surely there must be something more I can do to earn and deserve what I've been given. And so we come up with a bunch of crazy stuff. Can't I contribute anything to my own salvation? Aren't I supposed to dress a certain way, observe certain rules, regulations, requirements, restrictions? Can't I do something to look the part? You know, the Jews had lived under the requirements of God's law for so long that it was difficult for them to accept a salvation by grace through faith. They, they, had, they had grown so accustomed to trying to live up to the law to please God that they could barely accept a salvation that was by grace through faith. So when the uncircumcised Gentiles in Colossae who didn't deserve who didn't observe any of the feast days, the dietary restrictions, when they started to come to faith in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, these Jews had a problem. They're like, wait a second, hold on here. I've been living my whole life according to the standard, and you're saying that this Gentile guy can just walk in here, and he is equal with me because of what Jesus did on the cross? I don't think so. You're going to need to get circumcised. And the Gentiles were like, say what? I'm not signing on that church covenant, you know. That's right. You need to be circumcised. And they were oppressing the Gentile believers with the law. Legalism. Legalism. You must now submit to all of the Old Testament laws that we did, even though Jesus had already fulfilled the law in himself. And so that legalism was creeping back into the church, and Paul said, no, 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 no. It's just Jesus He's fulfilled the law. And these delusions are deceptive, and they're sometimes hard to detect. You have to be discerning to sniff out 
and test the spirits. Uh, the Super Bowl is coming Sunday. I'm not going to ask who's for the Eagles. I'm not going to ask who's for the Patriots. You either love Tom Brady or you hate Tom Brady. Um, but either way, Tom Brady has been the subject of a little mini-series that Facebook has put on. It's called Tom versus Time. Has anybody seen it out there? Tom versus Time. Tom Brady just turned 40. And so because age is undefeated, they're saying Tom is aging out. Can he still do it? Does he still have what it takes? Well, he's playing in the Super Bowl, but you, you decide. Anyway, but they show what Tom Brady does to prepare for games. The physical game, the mental game, uh, the team dynamics. And uh, Drew is obsessed with football, and he happens to like Tom Brady. He's happened to, he said out loud, I will be the next Tom Brady. So I don't know. You've heard it here. I don't know. The greatest of all time, too. I don't know. But uh, we watched this together, and Tom spends four to five hours a day watching tape, watching games. And he sits there with a little remote, and he watches a play, and then he rewinds it, watches it again. Rewinds it, watches it again. Four to five hours a day studying. And he said, I look at defenses. And I try to read defenses. And he said, more importantly, I look at linebackers. He said, because it's like playing chess or poker. Everybody has a tell when they're going to bluff. And he said, for a linebacker, every linebacker has a tell when he's going to blitz. And I just keep watching him and I keep watching him and I keep watching him until I find it. And then when I show up to play, I'm looking at the linebackers at the line of scrimmage. And he said, if one of them shows a tell, I say, he's blitzing, he's blitzing. And we can adjust our offense. That's pretty smart. Tom Brady says, if you come to play me in football, you better have given your life because I have given my life to the game. And I'm ready. That's pretty good. If only we as Christians studied the truth of God's word as much as Tom Brady studied football films. If only we took the, the task of serving Jesus as seriously as he took the task of playing a game. We might be, uh, might be Super Bowl winners. Anyway, but you have to study to know what's of God and what is of this world. Amen. And I'm telling you, it's tough sometimes. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but Mormons have cornered morality in our society. If you see somebody that's got it all together, they seem to have the perfect family, and they're promoting that lifestyle, oh, they must be Mormon. And nine times out of ten, you're right. It's attractive, isn't it? It's attractive. There's a reason for that, but that's a whole other message. Anyway, the intent of Paul's letter was to diffuse the delusion and clear up the Colossian confusion. Well, finally, let's look at verses 16 through 23. And here Paul offers a relieving word to the believers in Colossae. They were just, they, they were distracted, they were being pulled by intellectualism and mysticism and, and legalism, and they didn't know what to do, they didn't know where to turn. And Paul gives an amazing word here, and he just fires them off. Let no one judge you, let no one cheat you, let no one subjugate you. I love this. Let no one judge you. Let no one cheat you. Let no one subjugate you. Let's just read um, verse 16. It says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. 
but the substance is of Christ. And by the way, you're complete in Him. Let no, let no one cheat you of your rewards, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which He has not even seen. They don't even know. Vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished in it together by the joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. You died with Christ. You died with Christ. Your, your sin debt is paid. You are complete in him. You died with him. You were buried with him. You rose with him. So therefore, you are not subject to these false teachings. First, he says, let no one judge you in diets. And days, that's all Old Testament law. They were a shadow of what was to come. Imagine if you, if you were meeting me for the, for the first time and it was a sunny day and we were outside and I walked up to shake your hand and you started interacting with my shadow. <laughs> trying to shake hands with my shadow. Nice to meet you. It's good to see you. Hold still for a sec. Hold still. It would be ridiculous when I'm standing right, right here. Right here. Someone tells a story of being in a, in a museum, the Smithsonian, in uh, Washington, D.C. And they were looking at, at the president wax figures, you know, the president and the first lady. And, uh, you know, they, they were wearing a dress that the lady was wearing, such, such and such a place. And this denominational leader in the Southern Baptist were, was there with his kids. And, and they were looking at Lady Bird Johnson. And this was back in the day when Lyndon B. Johnson was president in there looking at Lady Bird Johnson, and he's explaining who she is, and he looks next to them, and there stands, in person, Lady Bird Johnson. And he's like, oh, Mrs. Johnson. And she was very gracious, and she talked to him and talked to the children there. And as they were talking in front of the display, a man shows up with his camera on a tripod, and he's setting it up to take a picture of the wax figurine in the dress. He says, excuse me. Could you folks move out of the way? I'm going to get a picture of Lady Bird. She doesn't say a word. She just kind of smiles, and they step to the side. And he's focusing in on a wax figure when Lady Bird herself stands right there. And so to adhere to all of these Old Testament rules, requirements, restrictions, regulations is nonsense. It's the Those were shadows of a reality that is fulfilled in Christ. Those were shadows. Jesus is the substance. The law was just a tutor to bring us and to teach us about Christ who would fulfill the law. And so Paul says, don't let anybody judge you about drinks and diets and days. You don't have to, deserve, you don't have to observe all those things because Christ has come. And you're in him and he is in you and you are complete in him. And then the second thing he says in verse 18, let no one cheat you. Those who are deceived into thinking that Jesus is not enough, that he is a God, but not the God, that he is really just the angel Michael, like our Jehovah's Witness folks. Man, if you believe all those things, if you believe those lies and you buy those lies from those wise guys, one day you're going to be sorely disappointed. You will be cheated from your reward because you followed a lie. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. He says, Let no one judge you. Let no one cheat you. And finally, he said, Let no one subjugate you. I filled in that blank because I don't know if you knew how to spell subjugate. 
So I gave you that one. Let no one subjugate you. That means don't subject yourself to man-made rules, regulations, requirements, and restrictions. You know, somebody may come along in your Christian walk and try to subjugate you with their man-made list of preferences. They'll preach them as principles, but their preferences. Their preferences that they feel make them holier, make them closer, make them approved of God. And instead of just enjoying that to themselves, they want to oppressively subjugate you to them as well. And I'm going to step on some toes here, but it's things like musical styles, Bible translations, hairstyles, clothing styles, external things that they have determined in their mind make them more holy, more acceptable to God. And it's not enough for them to enjoy their own convictions and preferences. They want everyone to conform to their preferences, so they elevate them to principles for Christian living. And they believe that external con- con- confirmation or external conformation, conforming to the externals, leads to internal tra- transformation. It does not. Amen. In fact, Jesus said that, that men who did that in his day were whitewashed tombs. They look pure and holy on the outside, but they're filled with dead men's bones. It's just a show. I've seen this over and over again. You know, I've learned that sometimes those who bark the loudest have the most to hide. But that's another message. Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28, 30, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Stop running on the treadmill of religion and rest in me. You'll be complete in me. Galatians 5, 1 through 6, Paul says, Stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Don't give in to that legalism. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Faith in Christ completes you. Rest in Him. Jack Deere says of legalism, the essence of legalism is trusting in the religious activity rather than trusting in God. It is putting our confidence in a practice rather than a person. And without fail, this will lead us to love the practice more than the person. You are not saved by man-made rules, and you are not served by them either. Legalism will kill a church. There's a church that I'm familiar with, and I won't say who, and I won't say where, but little church. Brand new couple comes in, visits the church on a Sunday morning. Don't know if they're lost or saved, but they choose to come to church. And having a visitor is a rare occasion in this place, and you'll find out why in a second. Greeted by an elderly gentleman in a suit at the door. And instead of smiling them and warmly welcoming them, showing them to a seat, he says, what are you wearing? This is God's house. You need to go home, put on a suit and tie, and then you can come back and sit here. What do you think that person did? They walked out and never came back. I don't know if they ever went to another church. I pray they did. But I'm telling you, legalism kills a church. 
external preferences, it cheapens the grace of God. Jesus didn't bleed and die so we would wear a tie. He didn't raise from the tomb so we would only sing one style of musical tune. And it wasn't Bill Gaither playing in the upper room. Legalism can kill a church. So may God have mercy on those who would limit the effectiveness of God's gospel of grace with legalistic personal preferences. Last I checked, God's amazing grace reaches to the lowest gutter. It goes into the deepest jungle. It goes into the darkest places. It goes into the highest palaces. It doesn't matter what they're wearing. It doesn't matter what language they speak and what music they listen to. God's grace is amazing, and it's enough to save. He saved you, didn't he? Amen. Amen. Our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We rest only on Jesus. Amen. That's why I've entitled the series, Just Jesus. Don't buy the lie that there's more to know. There's someone else to follow, and there's more to do. He did it all. It's done. We trust in His finished work. We find fulfillment in that. And we live in faithful relationship with our Lord every day. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your grace. It truly is amazing. And Jesus, I thank You for living a life I couldn't live. Because I just couldn't do it. There's no rules that I could keep that would grant me heaven. I wouldn't trust the best 15 minutes of my life to get me to heaven. If I were doing right, I probably wouldn't be thinking right. If I were actually doing right and thinking right, it would probably be for the wrong reason. And so thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Thank you for the fact that, that when you died, I died. When you were buried, I was buried. And when you raised to newness of life, that's me too. And now there's no condemnation, not because of who I am or what I do, but because of you. I rest fully in your grace. Lord, if there's somebody here on the treadmill, trying to run the treadmill of religion, trying to earn your approval, trying to earn what's already been done for them, I pray that they would find rest in you tonight and freedom, freedom in you to live in your love and to accept what you've done for them. What an awesome, what an awesome feeling. Help us to rest in that. Help us to be wise, to discern falsehood from truth. Keep us pure, keep us clean. And Jesus, may we ever keep you as number one in our church, number one in our lives, number one in our homes. Help us to lift you high so that people seeing the truth would be able to discern a lie. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.